Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About? presented by Fenley Road Sports. It's good to be back. Happy New Year to everyone. I hope you all had a happy holiday, a pleasant holiday, got to spend time with some friends and family, and you were safe doing it. Uh, you may have noticed that Chris and I, though we took a little week and a half break, we stood busy and we updated the website a little bit. It looks a little bit cooler to go check that out for sure. Uh, and I realized last year that we were discriminating and only catering towards iOS users. If you're an Android user and listening via the website, you can subscribe to us via Pocket Cast. That's a free that's an app that you can download on the Android store and the iOS store. It's a pretty cool app for, for listening to podcasts and we are on there, so subscribe to us that way if you're interested. Uh Chris man, what's going on? Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you too, brother. It was fun seeing you last week. We had a nice little brainstorming session about our 2016 goals for Fenley Road Sports. And I think we came out of that with some really fun ideas. So we're going to have some cool new things uh, underway in 2016. One cool thing we added to the website, as Bob mentioned, is now there's a contact page. And you guys can send us emails, suggestions, feedback, hopefully good feedback. But hey, you got to get better with criticism as well. So Please uh, feel free to click the contact button, fill out the form, and send us an email either with an idea for the podcast, a question, or just general feedback. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd like to make this more of an interactive podcast where we can take some of your ideas and incorporate them into our show um, as, of course, we filter them through the email. So don't be shy. Click that contact button and get back to us. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really excited for 2016. It was fun launching this thing in 2015, but I think that uh, we've, got some, we've got some good ideas and you're going to see some pretty new and creative content coming out from FamilyRoadSports.com in the near future here. Yeah, certainly. It, it should be an exciting year for us. I'm pretty excited as well. Uh, so we last left off with a huge bull bonanza podcast. Uh, I had lots of fun doing that. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. But maybe not a lot of exciting things to talk about, Chris, because overall, this bull season did not deliver the way that the college football regular season delivered with crazy finishes, crazy upsets. Um, Let's just go into those two semifinal games that happened New Year's Eve. Uh, Which one do you want to talk about first? Well, let's talk about the one worth talking about, and that was the Orange Bowl. That was actually a game for a bit. Uh, Oklahoma actually had a lead in that game at halftime, 17-16. to 16. The second half was not very fun if you're a Sooners fan or just a general fan, but the first half kind of played out the way we thought it would. Two fun teams that liked to move the ball, and they were doing so with relative ease. Um, so it was, it was a fun, dynamic game in the first half, but then the second half, Clemson just pulled away turned the screws, and put Oklahoma in its place and rather easily secured its spot in the college football playoff national championship game. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think of all the New Year's Eve Bowls and the New Year's Day Bowls, this was the game that had a lead change latest into the game, and that happened uh, quickly in the third quarter. Uh, that just goes to show you how one-sided most of these games were. Yeah, 17-16 to 16, heading into the half. Oklahoma opened the game with a very impressive touchdown drive. And I thought that this was going to be the shootout that we imagined it to be. And it was certainly heading that way. Uh, 
come halftime, Clemson goes in the locker room and they just made a commitment to run the ball down Oklahoma's throat and not let Oklahoma run the ball at all, be it with design run plays or Baker Mayfield scrambling. They really contained him in the second half and forced him to just make throws. And he ended up throwing two interceptions. You know, Deshaun Watson, who got more votes than Baker Mayfield in Heisman voting, he only had 16 completions for 31 attempts, 187 yards, a touchdown and an interception. It was the Clemson run game. He had 145 yards rushing and a touchdown. Wayne Gallman, the running back, had 150 yards and two touchdowns. They just pounded the ball down Oklahoma's throat in that second half, and that was what led to the route. Oh, yeah. The run game was just dynamic for Clemson, and Oklahoma really had no answer for it. It just it wasn't even close in the second half. But that first half was intriguing. The, the key was Oklahoma's defense comes up big with about 217 left holding Clemson to a 43-yard field goal, and then they marched down in 43 seconds, going 76 yards in four plays, highlighted by a very strong reception by Mark Andrews, uh, Baker Mayfield touchdown pass, to give them the lead at 17-16. And when that happened, I'm thinking, okay, game on. It's going to be a fun second half. And it was fun for a little bit, and then as the third quarter went on, it became very clear that... Clemson was pulling away the run game they had no answer for Wayne Gallman no answer for no answer for um Deshaun Watson on the ground they just ate him alive and that 35 yard touchdown pass Watson had late in the third I thought was just it kind of what the run game can set up you know when you have to focus in on two dynamic runners it's gonna allow for some big plays in the passing game so once that happened I thought okay Clemson's about to win this thing. I mean, that was sort of the, even though there was still a quarter to play, even though it was only a two-score game, Clemson at that point had uh, laid the hammer down and really you started to feel them pulling away at that point. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, we we focus a lot when we're talking about Clemson. They're known for their high-flying offense. That's kind of been their bread and butter for the last few years. But this Clemson defense is, is very talented and led by Shaq Lawson, who had that knee injury he says he's going to play in the championship game I mean they're very sound on defense they might not be uh, overwhelmingly dominant Uh, they don't have one unit that can change the game for them maybe like how Alabama's defensive line is is seems to be a dominant unit but Clemson is talented across the board defensively and I think altogether they're proving that they are probably the most well-rounded team of those four that entered the playoffs well, there's a reason they were undefeated, uh, 13-0, and now 14-0. and There's a reason they were undefeated. I think they took some – I think they took it personally that Oklahoma was a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I really did because, you know, they're the number one team. They're undefeated. They're playing in Miami closer to home, not Oklahoma, and their offense was just as explosive as they showed. The first half, Oklahoma's offense was doing kind of what it wanted. Got to give credit to the Clemson coaching staff and the defense for making adjustments and shutting out – what was the best offensive team in the nation since their loss to Texas in the second half. Oklahoma did not score anything. They couldn't do anything. It was a completely different team. They turned it on their defense. So hats off to Clemson, and I agree. I think that they are the most complete team in this field. Their defense is solid. Their offense is dynamic, and they can beat you in a number of different ways. 
I would certainly watch out. Uh, well, whoever came out, but it's going to be Alabama. But it is Alabama. So Alabama is going to have their hands full uh, on Monday in the national championship game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, final stat: Oklahoma got outrushed 312 yards to 67. It's a key indicator of of what's going on in the trenches there for both teams. All right, let's move on to the the next playoff game. This one was absolutely one sided. Alabama pitched the shutout, thirty eight to nothing against Michigan State. Uh, Chris, what's your main takeaway from this one? Wow, that's my main takeaway. Yeah. I thought this would be the best game of the bowl season, much less the college football playoff. I mean, you had two classic smash mouth teams, and the first quarter played out exactly the way I thought it would. Zero zero, and both offenses were struggling to gain a first down, much less a touchdown. And so the first quarter went to plan, and then it started to get ugly. Uh, 17-0. Michigan State was driving. There was some fire there. There was some intrigue there. And then Connor Cook throws the interception in the end zone to end the half. And at that point, I said, it's over. Michigan State's going to lose. That was the point where I knew the Spartans were truly done. If they had scored there, it would have been intriguing in the second half. But honestly, I watched some of the third quarter. I didn't need to. At that point, I knew Alabama was going to win, and they did. And it's shocking because Michigan State had been building for this moment for years now, a very long time. They always played the disrespected card. They had a chance to take their program to an elite level. And I'm surprised that, I'm not surprised that they lost, even though you and I both picked Michigan State to win. I'm surprised that they got annihilated. I think that's the shocking part of this game, that Michigan State looked very lost on offense. Their defense could not stop the run, which again was surprising because that that was supposed to be their strength, their front seven. And I just think that Michigan State looked overwhelmed by the moment, overmatched, and quite frankly, they did not look like a team that won the Big Ten. No, certainly not. I mean, you highlighted the key moment in the game. Alabama was up 10 nothing. Michigan State was driving to end the half. Throws the interception into the end zone to to, to end the half. I mean, that turned out to be a 14-point swing because Alabama got the ball back uh, to start the third quarter, and they went down it and scored another touchdown. Then it was 17 nothing, and, you know, Alabama started to roll. Uh, I think more often than not for the Crimson Tide, the third quarter has been their the time where they separate from the pact. Uh, it's always usually a close game in that first half, and then they seem to just pull on the gas and you know, shoot way out ahead of, of their opponent. And it's due in part because they are a very physical team right now. Uh, Derrick Henry is a guy that I wince every time he, he loads his shoulders and, and lays down some hits when he's running the ball. Uh, it's, it's very impressive what Alabama has done. Uh, Sean Robinson leading that defensive line. They're a really fun unit to watch, and usually defensive line play isn't very fun, but those guys are going to town every play, and it was really impressive what they did against Michigan State because you said Michigan State's front seven is is known as probably their strongest unit. I'd say their, their offensive line as well is, is supposed to be very good. They only produce 29 yards rushing against Alabama's front seven. Uh, that's not a way to to generate your offense and and to 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 you know that that's Michigan State's game plan. So 
yes, it's very shocking that it got to this point, but when Alabama is piling on you, it's very hard to come out of that. And and once they got the momentum going, they, they were just cruising. Yeah, of minor correction on my part, I said it was 17 nothing earlier. You're right, it was 10 nothing. Uh, so that interception was even bigger by Connor Cook. Yeah, yeah it, it, it would have been a three-point game at the end of the half. I mean, that's... I mean, yeah, I mean, and not only a three-point game, you just scored going into the half. That gets momentum back. Instead, they were taking momentum, and then Alabama kills it with an interception. Now, you're going into the half deflated. Alabama's going into the half emboldened even more, and it just was a huge swing. That interception killed the game right there. Even though it was 10 nothing, it killed the game right there. Michigan State had been down and out the whole half. They, their defense had played well. They only held them to 10 points. And then they finally get some life. They finally get some life in the passing game. They finally get a drive going, and it's just crushed by an interception. That killed the game. That right there just destroyed them. And then on top of that, those that one-minute span where Alabama returned a punt 57 yards for a touchdown, and then in one play, 50-yard touchdown uh, you know, pass from Jake Coker. So... Those two play that minute segment right there at the end of the third quarter just completely put the game away. But the play that decided it was, in my mind, that interception right before halftime uh, crushed Michigan State's momentum and emboldened Alabama. But I do want to point out one thing because you mentioned the Michigan State running attack 26 attempts, 29 yards. I understand the offensive line is their strength, and I understand early on trying to establish the run. But I think that drive at the end of the half. They were passing the ball effectively. The way you beat Alabama is to spread out that front seven and make them defend the whole field. You know, if you're just going to run the ball and play a traditional style offense, they're going to tee off and destroy you like they did. I question Michigan State not putting the game on Connor Cook's arm. He's supposed to be a first-round pick, a pro quarterback. Why not change up your game plan a little bit, run a little more spread like they did at the end of that half, to try and get your offense going in another way because it was very, very clear that the running attack just wasn't going to happen against Alabama. Yeah, certainly. I, I think, you know, I question any team that goes in to a matchup against Alabama and thinks they're going to run the ball straight through the tackles down Alabama's throat. Rarely does that happen. And when it does happen, it's happening because you either have a quarterback who's who's doing a read option that's threatening on the outside or, you, or you've, you're running a spread where you've worn them thin and now you're able to attack the middle. Yeah. I I question that as well. Michigan state, you know, it's easy to question them, but at the same time, you know, they, they were the big 10 champion. They did this all year long against teams that said they could stop the run and they weren't able to against Michigan state. So I, I don't know. I can't exactly fault them entirely for being headstrong about it, but I don't know. Alabama's front seven this year and traditionally throughout the years has been so strong. You need to come with a very creative game plan. And I don't think Michigan state, like you said, was creative at all. Uh, We talked a lot about a lot of players in this game. I think Jay Coker deserves a lot of credit as well. Some of those deep balls that he threw were very impressive and very accurate. He probably played the best game of his career uh, on the biggest stage. I think he deserves a lot of credit for the Alabama win. Oh, certainly. I mean, Jake Coker was fantastic. I mean, if you were to tell me before the game began that Jake Coker was going to outplay Connor Cook, I'd tell you Alabama's going to win in a landslide. I mean, Connor Cook had to be the guy for Michigan State. And and I don't question Michigan State for trying to run the ball in the first half because that's the bread and butter. That's what you do. You don't want to change your identity unless you have to. 
But it was clear on that drive that got the, their best drive of the game, the one that ended in the interception at the end of the half, it was effective because they were going to the air a little more. I don't understand why they didn't at halftime make the adjustment. And I think that at this level, in the semifinals, what separates teams a lot is their ability to make that adjustment. And Nick Saban, clearly, I mean, you know, a better coach. You got to give him the hat. You got to give him credit. But I think Mark Antonio should have made that adjustment and gone away from the run in the second half and put the game on Connor Cook's shoulders. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I think Michigan State kind of fumbled the moment. They they looked just a little bit out of place on that stage. Um, maybe if there's ever a next time for them, they'll be a little more comfortable. But uh, they they kind of screwed it up for themselves. And Michigan State has been slowly building into a very solid program under D'Antonio. I'm not going to take anything away from him. They have had fantastic success, over the last, especially over the last four years. This has been a long building process for him. Yes, they're losing a lot. They may take a step back next year, but I don't expect them to be gone for a while. I think Michigan State is here to stay. And just getting to the college football playoff is an accomplishment in and of itself. So again, we're not trying to pile on Michigan State here. They had a tremendous season, and I think that the future looks bright for the Spartan program. Yeah, certainly. Uh, you wish that they would have scored a point <laughs> when they got to the playoff. But uh, yeah, certainly. I mean, getting shut out is 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 awful. Uh, it's just awful. You don't ever want to get shut out, especially when towards the end Alabama had their second unit in. You couldn't. They couldn't even get a garbage touchdown, which that is kind. Of, that's very embarrassing. Yeah, certainly. All right. Well, I think we've uh, covered both playoff games very well. Let's look forward. To it. We have one more college football game left next week. The college football national championship: Clemson versus Alabama. Uh, unlike the playoff games where it was two similar teams going to head to head, we are getting two completely different styles of play going head to head. Clemson up tempo spread they run the option a lot alabama that pro style downhill running attack chris what do you like about this game what's the matchup and what do you think is going to happen well the matchup's easy it's the clemson offense versus the alabama defense you know last year alabama struggled with ohio state because ohio state had the dynamic running quarterback and the dynamic running back well, guess what Clemson has? The exact same thing. And, of course, playmakers on the outside. So that's going to be a matchup. Can Alabama beat a team like that? And you, we have said before that they've struggled against those spread teams that like to make their front seven, defend the whole field, loosen up that middle a little bit. And I think Clemson is going to be able to do that a lot better. Well, anyone could do that a lot better than <laughs> Michigan State did. But I definitely think Clemson is going to pose a much bigger challenge than the Spartans did offensively. And that is going to be the matchup to watch. Can the Alabama front seven overcome the style of play that is giving it fits uh, during this dynasty run? If, if there's one weakness to Alabama, it is this kind of football team that has the dynamic running quarterback, the spread system, and a smash mouth running game to complement it. They can be, they can run the ball in a variety of ways that's going to be the matchup of the game. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I can't see any other matchup that's more intriguing than that front seven versus Clemson's run option attack led by Deshaun Watson, who's probably the most electric player in college football and has had one of the best seasons in college football. I guess 
Christian McCaffrey has something to say about that. But uh, <laughs> anyway, um, you know, I wonder if Alabama is tired of hearing the mobile quarterback being their Achilles heel. I know it's happened to them even this year with Chad Kelly and Ole Miss, but I wonder if we have just harped on that, piled on that way too much where we have all but ensured that Alabama is going to be there ready to play against this mobile quarterback. I mean, I can't imagine that they're going to come into the game totally unprepared and, 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 you know, having the same flaws that they've had against Johnny Manziel, Chad Kelly, JT Barrett, or excuse me, uh, so many quarterbacks at Ohio state, Cardell Jones Jones. (laughs) yeah, against Cardell Jones. I mean, I I just wonder if we've said it so many times that uh, Alabama is going to ensure that we're wrong. I mean, they, I, I, I I can't imagine that they're going to let the same thing happen to them again on the national stage for, for another year. So, that is definitely going to be very interesting to see. It's easier said than done, what I'm saying, but uh, it's going to be a very intriguing matchup for sure. It's certainly going to be intriguing, but the reason they're hearing about it so much is because it happens to them so much. I, I, there's no doubt in my mind they were prepared for Ohio State last year. There's no doubt that they prepared for it. There's It's Nick Saban. He prepares for everything. He's, he's one of, if not the best coach in the nation. He's prepared for it. They'll be prepared for it. The question is, can they step up and stop it? I mean, it's happened to them so many times. You rattled off all the teams that have been able to do it to them. It's happened so many times that it is a very, very fair question, and it's the matchup to watch. And, you know, if they're smart, they'll use it as motivation. They should do that. But, you know, until they can step up and show that they can overcome this style of play on a big stage or or on any stage, really, uh, they're going to be kept asked about they're going to keep getting asked about it and you know it's going to be a fun it's I think this is going to be a good game I know we've had a lot of bad bowl games but I think this is going to be a good game yeah I I do too as well um I I think a team could pull away in the end but I think we're going to have at least let's hope at least three quarters of competitive play for for this game I mean it, it looks like a good matchup the one the one additional Achilles heel that Alabama has is that they can't really play from behind because they are a power run team. Their passing attack is predicated on play action, deep throws down the field. If Clemson comes out to an early lead, it could be a one-sided game because I don't think Alabama just, I don't think they can rely on Jake Coker for an entire game to make plays. Uh, They can rely on him on spots when he's supported by Derrick Henry, but uh, that would be an interesting thing to see and I think that's the way we would get a one-sided game which brings us to our second most compelling matchup will be the Clemson front seven against the Alabama running attack led by Derrick Henry can Clemson's defense which played very well against Oklahoma take away Alabama's run game again you're probably not going to completely stop it but if Derrick Henry doesn't get 100 yards I say that's a big win for Clemson yeah definitely but you know Alabama just shut out Michigan state and Derek Henry only had 70 yards, I think. So there's hope for Alabama. If that doesn't happen, uh, I think the key is if he's not laying down the punishing hits that we've seen him lay down, wearing down that defense so that in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter, Alabama's passing attack and outside attack opens up a little bit. Shaq Lawson's a key guy to watch. He had that knee injury in the orange bowl. He is, uh, 
probably their Clemson's best player on defense. He's a defensive end. So if he's out, uh, that gives a slight advantage to Alabama. Um, but if he, if he's in, if he's ready to go, that, that could, uh, definitely even things on, on, on that side of the ball. Oh, certainly. All right, Bob, we got to make a pick. Who are you taking? Uh, you know, I, I, I liked both of these teams coming in, even though I picked against both of them in even the playoffs. Even though we both picked the other teams. <laughs> but I'm talking about in the long term. Like, I've had Clemson in the playoff for a long time. Um, I, I think Alabama's going to do it. And I think that their front seven, they got embarrassed. Uh, they've been embarrassed by the mobile quarterback for a couple years now. I think they've made a clear effort to lose some weight, to game plan specifically for moments like this. I think they're sick and tired of hearing guys like us say that they can't beat a mobile quarterback. And I think that that is going to serve as a you know, motivation that's going to put them over the top in this game. I think it's going to be a close one, but I'm going with Alabama. Well, that's good motivational factor. Uh, you know, when you tell someone you can't do something, it generally works out. But there's one thing that trumps that, and that's pizza. And Clemson has the power <laughs> of pizza on their side. Nothing can motivate you more than pizza. And so I'm picking Clemson, not just because of pizza, but I really do think that they are the most balanced team left in the field of the other one left. And that they're 14-0. and They're kind of like Michigan State in the sense that they've been building for this moment, building to set foot on the big stage. You know, Alabama's been there before. Oklahoma's been there before. Michigan State and Clemson were kind of the outsiders at this elite level of college football. They had been to BCS Bowls, but they hadn't been to the national title game or the playoffs. I think Clemson gets it done because I think they're more motivated to prove that their program belongs on the elite level and I think that that will translate into a 15-0 season and an NCAA record for wins in a season if they were to pull this off. The first team to win 15 football games in the same year. So pretty cool stuff on the line for Clemson, and I think that they will cap a historic undefeated season. Yeah, I think I, I will be happy either way uh, for for the outcome of it. I think it's it, it's it's going to be a close game, uh, I, I, but I, again, I, I just have to go with Alabama. I think they have an unbeatable unit and that's that defensive line and uh, I think they're going to ride that to the title and it wouldn't surprise me if either of these teams won and we said it in the preview I mean all four teams in the field thought were very evenly matched the bowl games didn't trans it didn't translate into good bowl games but I still think that either of these teams could win it all yeah yeah certainly all righty well there were four other new year's six bowl games but none of them were really that good uh to say the least I do think the Peach Bowl, though, was closer than the final score indicated. And it was nice to see Houston step up and prove that they belonged with the big boys. And they they beat Florida State pretty well. That defensive front gave uh, Florida State fits all game long. I think they went through a couple quarterbacks. So Houston impressed me a lot. And I think that they're a team that could maybe make some big-time noise next year. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I mean, Florida State mounted a comeback, but there's a point where Houston was up 21-3 to three heading into the half. Um, <laughs> so, it, you know, like most of those games, it wasn't exactly a, a close matchup. Uh, Florida State did have some quarterback issues. Everett Golson wasn't even uh, traveling with the team. Sean McGuire got hurt. I think he was playing in an air cast at the end. Their backup quarterback also got hurt. There's a 
point where they're going to put in their punter to, to, to run a play, but instead they, they rolled back McGuire. So uh, that was kind of a problem for Florida state. That being said, Florida state has tons of talent and uh, you know, Houston outplayed them on all sides of the ball. Dalvin cook who had a phenomenal year, 18 carries for 33 yards and a touchdown. That's uh, really impressive. What, what Houston was able to do. I, I really like watching Tom Herman's style of offensive play. Uh, Greg Ward Jr.'s a really good talent that's coming back. I think Houston does have some momentum, uh, and and they could crash crash New Year's Day again. They could potentially crash the playoff next year. Yeah, I'm gonna write more about this on the blog. But you look at their schedule; they've got Oklahoma to start off 2016, and they've got Louisville late. Those are two very strong non-conference games that. If Oklahoma does what it normally does, if Louisville is its 8-10 to 10 win self, those are two big feathers in their cap. They would need the American to stay kind of strong. But if they could pick up those two big wins and go undefeated, they, they'll be knocking on the door. They could, they could definitely flirt with a playoff bid. And I think they have enough talent coming back that they're going to be one of the most intriguing teams to watch in 2016. Yeah, certainly. Um, and th- those... Out of conference matchups help because the American Conference did not have a good bowl season, uh, two and six no. in their bowl games. So, uh, for for a team that had at one point I think three ranked teams all gunning for that that Peach Bowl or that New Year's Six invite, uh, it was not a good showing for for their conference. It was good to see Navy, Navy cap off the eleven win season. That was special. But other than those two, them in Houston, six losses. That that's bad. Temple lost to Toledo. I know we have some Toledo alum friends who are not happy that we picked against their uh, beloved Rockets, but hey, you know what? We can't win them all. I'm sure I don't. I didn't tally up what our record was. I'm sure we were uh, probably mediocre at best. Yeah, I, I'm sure it was right around fifty percent, maybe maybe even less. Uh, it's predicting these games, especially the farther away you get from marquee matchups. Uh, it's just really who who wants to show up and who wants to play and. That's that's really hard to predict. Yeah, the other team I, I like, I mean, Stanford laid the axe down on Iowa. That game was over in 22 it, minutes. It was over in the first quarter. It was just a brutal, brutal showing for Iowa. But Stanford has a lot coming back, too. They could certainly be a factor in 2016. Um, probably the most intriguing was Ohio State-Notre Dame going in. It actually was a good game for a minute there when Joey Boza got ejected on that targeting call. Really swung the game a bit because that would have been an interception set up the Ohio State with good field position up 14-0. Notre Dame challenged them a little bit, but it was never really close. Ohio State just kept them at bay. Um, Bob, did you agree? Did you watch, you watch that game? Did you agree with the ejection of Joey Bosa? I mean, I can see why they ejected him. Uh, I don't. I mean, I mean, I usually tend to favor on the side of the the player, so I don't think he should have been ejected. But I can see why, looking at that, uh, someone would eject him. It, it was a close call. I don't think it was in, intent was a hundred percent there, but it was just a bad form tackle by by Bosa leading with your head like that. Yeah, I agree. I don't think the problem is the refs. I think the refs did what they had to do. The rule targeting is terrible. It leaves no room for interpretation. I understand you can't lead with your helmet, but when your helmet hits a guy's arm, is that really a player safety issue? And I don't think that there was a malicious intent with that hit. 
I think that's what targeting and some of these other rules are designed to prevent. I think there needs to be a modification. I think there needs to be a little bit more leniency on the call to prevent things like this, to prevent the best player on the field, arguably the number one pick in the draft, from being ejected in the first quarter. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. Now, I understand if the guy headhunted him and drilled him in the head, then yeah, get him out of the game. But Bosa didn't do that. And I think that that was unfortunate to have arguably the best player on the field leave the field because of a, okay, wrong by the rule, ejection by the rule, but not exactly a malicious hit. Yeah, no, no you want the best players to, pl- to play the game. Uh, on the flip side of the coin, though, when you're playing against Notre Dame, you can't really make an excuse about losing a player because I think over half of their starting lineup to open the year is hurt and, and out for the year. Jalen Smith, probably their best player who is sometimes projected as the second best player in the, entering the draft. He went out of the game as well for Notre Dame. So, you know, J- missing Joey Bosa is definitely a bummer and that kind of swung the game, like you said, and it, it hurts the quality of the, the play on the field. But uh, Notre Dame has impressed with the way they just keep bouncing back and, Maybe it was that Jalen Smith injury that finally broke the camel's back for them and, and kind of led to a blowout loss. Oh, certainly, yeah. Notre Dame has had its fair share of injuries, and that Deshaun Kaiser has a bright future ahead. Notre Dame's going to have a similar problem Ohio State did with its quarterbacks, but a lot of these teams playing in these big bowl games have a lot coming back, which is going to be exciting for 2016. You look at Stanford, Notre Dame, and Houston – Ohio State's losing a lot, but Urban Meyer seems to have the cabinet pretty well stocked. So it's going to be interesting to see how these teams can continue into 2016. Um, Bob, I mean, we've covered most of the bowl games. Uh, Any final thoughts, any bowls that we maybe didn't talk about, something you wanted to bring up, uh, a good bowl game perhaps? I mean, most of them were bad. Even Even the 200 card New Year's Day games, Michigan throttled Florida and Tennessee throttled Northwestern, so... Yeah, and then to, to cap that off, Ole Miss uh, pretty much throttled Oklahoma State as well. Uh, you know, we were texting last night about, you know, maybe we'll talk about a good bowl game that we watched that wasn't on New Year's Day or New Year's Eve. And then I was like, well, what bowl game is there? And that was when Oregon was blowing out TCU. And that turned out to be probably has to be the best bowl game of the season. TCU overcoming a 31 nothing deficit to go on and win it in triple overtime last night. Uh, that was a really good game to watch. Uh, we said there would be lots of offense, uh, but that was when we knew Vernon Adams and Trevon Boykin were playing. By the end of this game, uh, neither of those quarterbacks were playing. Vernon Adams injured in the second quarter. Trevon Boykin was suspended for it. Uh, still delivered on the points, still delivered on the excitement. I, I think that was hands down the most entertaining bowl game I watched of the season. Oh, certainly coming back from 31 to nothing, but it's unfortunate that Adams got hurt, and I definitely think that that changed the game big time, not just Gary Patterson's shirt uh, going from the black to the purple, but I think Vernon Adams uh, getting hurt certainly uh, changed the game because Oregon's (laughs) offense couldn't do much. Uh, One stat I wanted to bring up, the Russell Athletic Bowl, Baylor beat North Carolina 49-38. Baylor ran the ball 84 times for 645 (laughs) yards and seven touchdowns. That is insane. Yeah, and, you know, shame on North Carolina because I think Baylor's on their third quarterback. So you kind of had to assume they were going to run the ball a lot heading into this bowl game. And 650 yards, that's 
that I, I can't even do that when I play Madden. So <laughs> kudos to Bailey. <laughs> yeah. So there were a few other ones. Uh, the pinstripe bowl went into overtime. Duke beat Indiana. Uh, Indiana, a team that might be not like on the elite level, but they, they could be on the up and up and, and start taking some steps towards that, you know, championship level. Uh, I'm not saying next year they're going to be a contender, but they certainly are on the rise. And then the Cactus Bowl, it was on late last night. I didn't get to watch it, but it was only one-point game. West Virginia over Arizona State, 43-42. to And I actually picked West Virginia on a win that game, so I'm happy that I randomly picked the winner. Yeah, um, that had one of the craziest plays. I've seen uh, an interception turned fumble, turned reception, all in uh, – on the same play for West Virginia. <laughs> so that was a, a wacky game. I feel like that kind of happens when the big 12 and the, and the pac 12 come together and play these bowl games. Uh, strange things happen. They gave us two of the best ones last night. Uh, BYU versus Utah was also interesting. BYU turned the ball over five times in the first quarter, which allowed Utah to take a 35, nothing lead in that first quarter. BYU comes all the way back to 28 to 35 in the fourth quarter uh, just weren't able to get the ball back one more time to score a tying touchdown, but uh, kind of a, a, another wacky game that happened very early in the bowl season, but that's that's a rivalry game, one that I was kind of excited to watch, and it turned out to be uh, a pretty exciting game as well. But all in all, uh, lots of blowouts this year, man. I think whenever the New Year's games are bad, it's going to set the tone for the whole bowl season's perception. Uh, you have to deliver on the big stage as far as the performance goes, and it just wasn't there this year. New Year's Eve and New Year's Day did not have many compelling games. Uh, some were, it could have been, but a lot of good matchups going in, but none of them really delivered. Yeah, I, I, most of them I was excited about. I think the only one that didn't appeal to me was really any game that Florida was going to play in because they've been such a mess, <laughs> <laughs> but you kind of knew they were going to get a New Year's Six invite. Um, but yeah, all the matchups looked really nice uh, heading in. Just it just didn't work out that way, and I don't really think you can say motivation was a factor because these are these are big time games and big time bowl games for a couple of these teams don't always play in in the spotlight. So I, I don't know. I, I I just think teams got beat but very well by by very good teams. So I hate when people say motivation uh, when when you're playing a New Year's Day bowl game, New Year's Eve bowl game, New Year's Six bowl game, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you better be motivated. If you're not motivated, you deserve to lose. Yeah, no, certainly. So do you have um, a, a big takeaway from this bowl season, from a, a conference winner, or just like kind of something that you're taking away heading into the next well, year? Well, the SEC and the Pac-12 stepped up 8-2 and two and 6-4 and four in their bowl games. SEC winning two of the New Year's Six games and placing a team in the final. you got to tip their hat to them. Uh, being the Big Ten guy I am, I know Michigan State and Iowa certainly is going, is going to hold them back a little bit, but I don't think the Big Ten's bowl season as a whole was bad. I think it was solid. They went 5-5. Five and five. Indiana was very competitive against Duke, which is a good sign for them. Penn State, even though they lost uh, Hackenberg, very competitive against Georgia. Those are two programs that, especially Penn State, that the Big Ten needs to, to get going a little bit. Um, but then Ohio State and Michigan, Michigan being back, beating Florida, winning a big bowl game under Harbaugh, uh, Wisconsin beating USC, Ohio State beating Notre Dame. The Big Ten put some feathers in its cap. They went 5-5, five and five, so it wasn't all bad, wasn't all good, could have been better. If Iowa or Michigan State had won, or both of them had just looked competitive. I think more people would have looked at it a little favorably. 
But those are the three conferences among the Power Five that I think were the big winners this year. The loser was the American, 2-6 and six showing after trying to prove that it belonged at the table. You had to get some wins out of Temple and some of your other schools to show that you were depth. Memphis not winning either. Uh, they, if they had won one or two more games, that would have been big for them. So Houston definitely getting the big one. That was the most important, but the rest of the conference kind of let uh, let the Cougars down. Yeah, I, I agree with most of those. Um, I think my takeaway was similar to last year when the SEC had tons of marquee matchups on New Year's Day and kind of got embarrassed on a lot of them. The Big Ten had its neck stuck out a lot this bowl season. Uh, a lot of highly ranked teams, a lot of talk that they're the best conference, and they did not, they didn't screw it up, but they did not make the statement going five and five, while the SEC went eight and two, potentially nine and two, being the national championship game with Alabama. SEC was three and one against the Big Ten, so it wasn't, it wasn't the statement that the Big Ten was looking to make, and that's not to say that 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 the perception of the Big Ten is now lowered, but it's not it did not do anything to elevate their status, especially when Iowa Northwestern and Michigan state on new year's Eve, new year's day were outscored 128 to 22 in those three games, which, you know, that's just not a good look. And, and that, that's all I'm going to say from that. Uh, well, yeah, I agree. The big 10 saved face. It needed to win one of those three games you yeah. mentioned, or at least look competitive in all of them to take a step forward. It saved face. But you're right, it, it blew a chance to really step forward. Those three blowouts are going to hold it, hold this season back. Yeah, it's a face. I mean, you know, Ohio State and Michigan had blowout wins. Those are the two teams that, you know, this, this, the standard bearers of the Big Ten, really. You know, Michigan State has been down, but just from name recognition, you kind of expect those teams to do well. It's that second tier, Michigan State, Iowa, Northwestern, the teams that you're not usually accustomed to seeing in the big games. You're, you you kind of wanted them to to step up and, and to to make a statement and and they didn't and and so that that's what I'm taking away from that. Um, for me though, we're in the second year of the college football playoff, and you know we are still kind of wrapped up in the legacy of the BCS era where quality uh, strength of schedule and quality of wins you know dictates team strength and I'm so sick of. Ohio State and Michigan State fans cheering against Michigan where uh, and Alabama and Georgia fans cheering against Florida like that citrus bowl just blew my mind how many people you know showed their allegiances cheering for their most hated rival against a, a, another team uh, what other sport do we does our most hated rival do we cheer for them to win every game except the one that we play them in uh, that doesn't exist anyway I want the Steelers to lose every single game they play and that's just how it is for every sport. I think the college football playoff has given us a gift where we can stop cheering for our rivals to win these big games and we can go to hating our rivals again because the college football playoff has shown that if you win your, your conference in a power five conference, you're probably going to the playoff and you don't really need to, to argue about strength of schedule, about your quality of wins, how difficult your schedule is versus a, a, another conference. You can just kind of, enjoy football again and, and and hate your rivals and cheer for them to lose you know let's kind of accept that the college football landscape is probably very equal the the acc and the big 12 are a little down right now but the you know the acc has had a, a national title contender in two of the last three years so 
it's it i i think it's very equal the landscape right now you could have the argument that the sec is on top because of the bowl season that they had but come on let's let, let's get back to hating the teams that we hate and, and not cheering for them to win these big games well aside from the sec's eight and two record the best record is a 600 win percentage six and four and, and then the conference usa went three and two everyone else is hovering around 500 so i do agree that it's very even the landscape um, I think it's going to take a while to change that perception, but I do agree with you. I think that, well, first, I do want to say one thing. When Michigan plays Florida, Ohio fan, Ohio State fans are conflicted because there's enough hate for Florida oh, yeah. in Ohio as well. For sure, but, but uh, you know, the, the SEC I, I fans cheer for saying, Florida, though. and, you know, Michigan right. State fans don't really have anything against Florida. They should be cheering for Florida to beat their in-state rival, but that's not what happens. I agree with that, but I do think that that kind of mentality, and I'm not saying it's not prevalent anywhere. I do think it's most prevalent in the SEC. Uh, I had a, I went to school with a Georgia fan who, I mean, he's a Georgia fan, and he's harping up Tim Tebow and hyping up all these guys. I'm like, aren't you supposed to be cheering against these people? And, it, you know, I, I have a lot of conference pride too, but I do think it is most prevalent in the SEC, and uh, it is one thing that kind of annoys me. I think that because of the run that the SEC had, it probably started from that, from uh, people telling the college football world that the SEC is the best conference and then, you know, the SEC adopting that. But now in 2015, I see it everywhere in in every conference. You know, the Big Ten, Big Ten fans have had kind of a chip on their shoulder for a while because of how well SEC teams have performed and what their fans have said. So they've adopted that as well. I think it's pretty equal around most conferences and you're always going to have in in college football, the big 10 versus sec dynamic. And I I think it's pretty equal on both those sides, but I I just can't stand it anymore. It it just really frustrates me. Well, when you have one conference beating the drum for seven years, it's going to make everyone else really, really mad. And it's going to start a lot of that, that, you know, sort of reactionary, hey, our conference is the best now, or things like that. And I'm not saying I don't participate in it, because I certainly do. You guys have heard me on the podcast and everything. It is, But right now it is ingrained in the fabric of how your team is viewed. Did your yeah. team play a tough schedule? But, and that was necessary two years ago and, and 10 years ago. But in the college football playoff landscape, it's, it's not as necessary. I mean, it, it will be necessary for that four versus five debate that will – inevitably happen every year but if you win your conference championship you have a a golden ticket and unless you screw it up by by losing three games uh, you know or two games like stanford did i mean if you're a one loss conference champion you're probably going to be there i agree with that yeah and and so that that kind of that gives us a freedom to to cheer for these to cheer for our team and to to hate on on the teams we hate and i think that that i think it it just kind of it ruins college football a little bit the way we we've warped our rivalries and and who we cheer for yeah no i i agree to an extent i do think it's worth warped the rivalries um but i think until the playoffs sort of progress a little bit more two years isn't enough to break all that you know decades worth of mentality i think that as the playoff progresses and eventually expands uh that mentality will start to go away yeah i, I hope so this is the year to start it, man. Like let's 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 keep it going into the next year and and hate hate the teams you love to hate all the time. All righty, man. Well, we spent a lot of time talking about the bowl games. We do have a couple other things to catch up on. 
The Warriors, facing some adversity in the NBA, they've lost another game, and Steph Curry is injured. And this is their first big kind of injury in this going-on-two-year run that they've had. Bob, how intrigued are you to see... Well, first off, we hope Steph Curry isn't seriously hurt and that he can get back. But secondly, how intrigued are you to see how the Warriors respond to what, you know, their first big injury? Uh, I'm very interested to see. Uh, that's kind of been my one... The one thing I, I've... I haven't given them is that they haven't faced adversity. And even before Steph Curry went down, uh, Clay Thompson and Harrison Barnes have missed time. So it, you kind of have the feeling that it's happening this year. Uh, that being said, Steph Curry has missed two and kind of a half games. Uh, you know, he, he left uh, the Denver game last night with a, with a shin contusion uh, and they went two and one or yeah, two and one. So I, I, it's not, it, it hasn't happened yet. Uh, I think if Curry is going to miss extended time, you're going to start to feel it. But uh, in the game that Curry went out, Draymond Green went for 29 points, 14 assists, and 17 rebounds. <laughs> These, at the end of the day, this is a talented team. I think they'll be okay for, for the, the short run. But if, if this Curry injury happens to be a, a long one, a, a sustained one, uh, then I'm going to start to get worried for them. Yeah, I would agree with that. And you're right. They are top to bottom, just one of the most talented teams in the NBA. Uh, for the regular season, they should be fine as long as Curry isn't seriously hurt and, the, and it would impact their playoff run. Uh, they should be fine. But, you know, they, they are – look, you can't stay healthy forever. Sooner or later, you're going to face injuries. I don't care who you are. And you never want to see the best players go down. But the reality of the situation is – Sooner or later, you're going to start facing it. And so it'll be interesting to see how the Warriors can get through that. Uh, Christmas Day also happened. Bob, did any of those games intrigue you? I know we watched the uh, Warriors and Cavs. Um, but did any anything else happen on, on Christmas Day that kind of moved the needle for you? Uh, well, first off, that Warriors-Cavs game was pretty good. Uh, not the high-scoring game you kind of thought it would be when, when you faced the Warriors. If That felt like a playoff game to me. And uh, they both played really well. The Warriors came out on top at the end. Um, you know, the second favorite game was probably the Rockets versus Spurs. The Rockets have been a, a train wreck, and for them to come out Christmas Day and beat the Spurs, eighty-eight to eighty-four, uh, that that's a good, uh, a little win for the for the Rockets. Uh, maybe they can kind of salvage their season and 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 slip into the the back end of the playoffs with with some talent and maybe with some momentum. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that, uh, you know, the Warriors-Cavs was a defensive slugfest. I think what gets lost in the Warriors' high-faced offense is that they're a darn good defense, too. And the Cavs can play some pretty good defense as well. These two teams are very, very well-balanced. They can beat you in a number of different ways. And I think that when they're on the court at the same time, the matchup potential is just exciting and, and awesome. And hopefully it materializes for casual basketball fans in the NBA Finals. As a Cleveland fan, I do not want to see the Warriors any more than that one other time they're going to play in January. I want them to lose in the West because I want Cleveland to win. I want the 8 seed to come out of the West and the Cavs to just sweep. I don't care. I want a title. Uh, I don't care about good basketball. I just want the Cavs to win. But from, from a basketball standpoint, it's always great to see two elite-level teams with a number of dynamic uh, superstars uh, playing against one another. Uh, but that, that was about it. That was the only game that intrigued me going in, and you know none of the games intrigued me day of. So, again, it's, it's Christmas. 
It's still January, very early in the NBA, but uh, the time is starting to turn to basketball, Bob. Uh, you know, football is uh, pretty much over. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be fun. Yeah, definitely. We're definitely gearing up to talk uh, not just NBA, but college basketball as well. Um, this is the time for it. As as football winds down, uh, we have kind of a, a realized uh contenders and pretenders in the NBA things worth talking about so it will be fun to talk about in the future uh, I will say though that when the Bulls have to step up against good teams they step up in a big way uh, their win against the Thunder on Christmas Day was pretty impressive as well uh, they've kind of they've hit a couple roadblocks here and there but when faced with a marquee matchup they seem to play their best so uh, Maybe that will translate into more playoff success for them. Who knows with the Bulls? But uh, that was, you know, a, a good third tier game to watch on Christmas Day as well. No, definitely. And by the way, we uh, need to remind you that there's so much football to talk about. We spent all the time on college. This one, we're unloading a bonus NFL playoffs podcast for all the playoff action this week because we couldn't fit all of it into one podcast. So if you're wondering why aren't they talking about the NFL, that's why we're going to have Black Monday to get to. We're going to have all the playoff matches for the wild card weekend to get to. There's just so much to talk about there that we had to put in its own podcast. So Happy New Year. You're getting a second podcast from us this week, later in the week. So don't worry. We didn't forget about the NFL. But running out of time here. We got some quick ones. Bob, we, we've made it clear we're not the biggest hockey people in the world, but the Winter Classic is kind of cool. It was a 5-1 to one win Montreal over Boston, so two original six teams playing in a 67,000-plus house at Gillette Stadium. Or That was the attendance. I don't know how much it holds, but Gillette Stadium, home of the New England Patriots. Bob, do you think this is a cool tradition, the NHL playing an outdoor game on New Year's Day? I do think it's a cool tradition, and uh, look, just looking at photos of the game, that stadium is pretty full, like all the way to the top. Uh, I like it; it's a really cool tradition. Uh, Ratings-wise, it does really well, and considering that it's competing with football on that day, it it's probably one of the most watched hockey games of the year. So I think it's good to get some exposure for the sport. They should consider maybe doing a second one every year because people seem to be interested in it. Oh, certainly. I think they should consider to do uh, one or two more, uh, maybe do a three uh, three Winter Classic series, uh, maybe one in January, one in February, one in March, something along those lines. You don't want to oversaturate it, but I think they can expand a little bit and still maintain the specialness of it. Interesting fact, the home team has only won twice. Uh, a lot of road victories. So, what, six road victory so six and two the road team is that's uh kind of kind of cool i guess yeah it is cool and i think that this set the most the record for the most goals scored as well with a, a five to one win for for montreal uh yeah i know no, there was a six to four game in 2009 but you're right the, i stand it's, correct it's close it was number number two <laughs> number two <laughs> But there have been a couple overtimes, a couple of shootout ones. So it's been a, it's been a fun tradition. I, I like it, even though I didn't get a chance to watch much of it. And then we forgot to mention earlier in December, but the Portland Timbers defeated the Columbus Crew for the MLS Cup. I wanted Columbus to win. That would have been nice. But Caleb Porter, who is the former uh, Akron men's soccer coach, is the coach for Portland. So not only did he leave Akron to an NCAA championship, but now he's led Portland to an MLS championship. 
Uh, did you get a chance to watch any of this, or, or, or what are your thoughts on that? Uh, unfortunately, I did not get a chance to watch it, though I did have some friends in the audience. They were pretty stoked about it. Um, yeah, I, I was cheering for Columbus as well because I don't really have an MLS affiliate team to cheer for, and Columbus has actually had some success. Uh, they won the Cup, I think, in 2008. So they're kind of a good team. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of sad that they did not – finish it against Portland, but, uh, it was good to see an Ohio team in, in a title. Uh, that's kind of a rare thing. So it certainly is a rare thing. Even if it's our brethren, brethren, two hours South in Columbus, uh, we'll tip our caps and, uh, support them because we don't have an MLS team and it would have been nice to see Columbus pull it off, but at least there's an Ohio connection to the championship and Portland's a city that, yeah, you know what? They're cool too. I mean, they don't have a lot of pro sports teams. They just have the Blazers. So why not? Let Portland have something. <laughs> All righty. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. Thank you for continuing to support us into 2016 as we get started on the second year of What Are You Talking About? Presented by Fenley Road Sports. Please follow Fenley Road Sports on Twitter, Fenley Road Sports on Instagram. Search Fenley Road Sports in iTunes or you can just visit FenleyRoadSports.com and click all of those links that we have conveniently there for you at the top of our webpage. Don't forget, you can contact us through FenleyRoadSports.com. Please send us an email. Give us some feedback. If you have a topic you really want us to discuss, pitch it to us, and we are going to try to get our listeners more involved this year. That's one of our biggest New Year's resolutions for 2016. In addition to rolling out some new content for you, we've got some surprises planned. We're going to have to wait a little bit, but 2016 is going to be a fun year, a big year, and we appreciate your continued support. Come join our community and follow us on iTunes. Subscribe to our podcast. And thank you for listening. See you next week. All right. I'll see you, Chris. Take care, Bob.